guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I'd like to thank my sponsors, PML Construction, SRP Environmental, CCS Group, Make You Safe Wearable Technology, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Check out the episode notes and find their websites or contact information. Check them out and give them a call if they can help you out. Thank you for your support, guys. We sincerely appreciate it. Now on with the episode. Um, a beautiful morning here in Omaha, Nebraska. I love these nice, cool, low humidity mornings. I enjoy stepping out and drinking my coffee, walking the dogs. It's a, It started off as a great day. I hope you're having a great day and had a good week. Um, I am excited to introduce my guest. You've met him and heard him before, Pete Suska, uh, the owner of OPEX Safety. Um friend and colleague and uh he's coming to us looks like are you in connecticut it looks like connecticut yes it is connecticut okay the the background reminds me of connecticut nice bookshelves and (laughs) nice beautiful wood wood finishes and things well it's good to see you man good morning well it's a pleasure to be back you've been Um, been on the road yes yeah i was just in texas at the uh at the assp conference yeah i saw uh saw a number of people posting about the conference. It sounded like it was a great conference. Uh, I saw your presentation. You were giving a presentation. Uh, that got a number of posts and, and uh, sounded like it went well. So, Yeah, I, uh, I guess I, 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 I think we're back, right? You know, after COVID, mm-hmm. I think we're back to, I think they probably had 6,000 people there. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a well-attended event. Good. And where was the conference held? Was it in uh, San Antonio? San Antonio. San Antonio. Oh, right yeah. on the boardwalk there, and yeah, right next to the Alamo. Nice, right next to the excellent. And yeah. so, you were a speaker. Do they do they uh, approach you about doing a presentation, or do you submit? No, uh, I submit. Submit yeah. a, a proposal for a presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. And I've I, been doing it probably for the past five or six years. Yeah. So they know you. They, they know do. What you get when, yeah, very good. I I have not gone to conferences for a while, man. You know, when I was with OSHA, and there was someone else footing the bill, um, it was easy to get. And and then I was, you know, I was trying to get continuing education units and credits, and you know, so we got technical and management training every year, and it was fantastic. And as you probably are, you know, well, I mean, this when you were on your own. You are looking at, you know, taking a week out of your work activities and paying for this out of pocket and those kind of things. And it becomes this cost benefit analysis every time. And uh, when I let my credentials expire, when I let them lapse a few years ago, it became less urgent for me to sure. attend conferences, but I miss it. There is uh, yeah. it's a great opportunity to meet some new people and to hear some new ideas. And so, you know, I, yeah. You know, it's it's my way of giving back to the profession that's given me so much. Um, you know, my whole shtick is is kind of broadening the profession. Mm-hmm. I think we do a really good job of the technical aspect and digging a digging a deep hole. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to broaden the trench, if you will. We're good at vertical. Yeah, we yeah, are. and we're we're moving out of that. Uh, you can see it uh, slowly, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm. You know, I, I'm really trying to 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 make safety uh, um, an element of the way organizations function, rather than its own kind of discrete 
thing to fix. Yes, and and that is the entire point of the conversations we've been having, which are incredibly interesting. I just sent your articles, your ASSP articles, uh, to another colleague of ours who I, I would love to get you in front of because I think, you know, what you talk about that, you know, limiting that, um, you know, that uh, safety island aspect of what we do is so critical to really getting a handle on this stuff. Um, and so this is our third visit. This is the second in a series. Our first visit was somewhat introductory, so everybody in the audience could get to know you. The response to your first presentation was outstanding. Everybody loves what you what you talk about, because I think we all listen to what you're saying, and we all realize, oh, yeah, that's exactly what, you know, I, I can't get my head around it. I can't necessarily articulate it, but we all know that what you're saying is critical. And so we started this series of discussions. They're based on this art, these articles that you've written. The first one was a month or two ago. This will be our second in that series, our third conversation. And I want to start it off by, this is really important because I am working with a company right now, and certainly they, they will remain nameless, but, but I think the conversation that you have to offer is really important to this company. There, there seems to be a bit of a, of a divide between how the, the C-suite, the executives view things, and how the, the plant people view things. And I have an opportunity right now to be working with the plant people. And that's my wheelhouse, man. I am, you know, just boots on the ground, talk to the employees guy. I, I don't know what to say to C-suite people, which is why, you know, your conversation is so critical. But I'm going to read something that I just pulled out of one of your articles this morning. To drive safety forward in a sustainable manner, we can no longer treat it as an independent variable. The reasons for safety success and failure are always related to the health of the organization as a whole. And this comment is really a, a sweeping statement, you know? And I was wondering if you could just, we could just start there and expound on that a little bit. I think it relates to what you were just saying about your effort to broaden the span of safety in organizations. Let's start there. Yeah, you know, it's just come from years and years uh, you know, you and I have been in this for a long time, and um, it, it's kind of like a, a tracker. You know, you know, you see those old Western movies where they have the tracker, oh, yeah. right? You know what I mean? And that person, um, you know, they don't have to see an obvious person on a horse. They're they're seeing the signs of that. Mm -hmm. long after that person has passed by right mm -hmm. and and that's kind of what i am i am looking at i'm looking at the signs i'm looking at things that are somewhat subtle that when i follow them what i find is is those same uh reasons for those signs are attached to other things that we value and and that those values are being impaired also the same way that safety is being impaired because the the foundation and and, and i just did this presentation the other day is i talked about three levels of decision making in an organization uh, level one which what i'll call corporate and business unit level so the executives at the corporate level the executives at the business unit level make a decision about what business we're going to be in, what plant is going to make what, how much they're going to make, um, 
what customers they're going to serve, what profitability they need to have. All of those decisions get made up there, right? And, and decisions and decision-making is a benefit-risk balancing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we're looking for benefit, but we're also should be cognizant of risk. Uh, risk not just Im- impacting benefit, but risk impacting the other things that we value and that we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking for profit, are we balancing quality with profit? If we're looking for a cost reduction, are we balancing uh, safety, right? All of those things, right? So if that first decision isn't balanced, and this goes to what you were talking about, uh, that imbalance comes to the operation, the plant, Okay. okay? So that decision-making then comes to the plan. Hey, we need to move this. You know, we're going to shut down a facility, and we're going to move everything from that facility to your plant, Mr. Plant Manager. Okay. Now, if we haven't thought about the safety aspects of that thoroughly, then who has to make those, those decisions? Well, the plant does. Okay. So now the plant gets all these balls they have to juggle in the middle of trying to do what they do every day. And if they're reactive, they're already behind. Now they're even more behind. Okay. Mm-hmm. And because now they've got space limitations, they've got machine guarding, they've got, you know, where am I going to put the product now of this, all this new equipment? Nobody's figured that out completely. And the capital expenditures haven't been allotted because nobody realized the significance right. of the problem. Okay. Right. So now you're a plant manager, you're, you're already swimming in the deep end of the pool without the little, you know, thing. And, and now you can hand it a bunch of lead here. Mm-hmm. Right. And now the plant leader is like, well, I need more. I need CapEx. Now to try to get right. cap, CapEx from a plant is a heck of a lot more difficult than putting CapEx in, in the original business decision. Okay. Yeah. So now it may take them years to CapEx their way out of if that, if it's even possible to CapEx their way out of that problem. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening, we put in the lower cost controls, okay? Okay. Which come either come from CapEx or they come from OpEx, which is, you know, PPE and and training and all those things come out of OpEx, okay? And, And so now what do we got? We've got these fatality hazards, serious injury hazards controlled with good day controls. Right. Because they had no other choice. They had to do something. Right. And now, even if it was a temporary measure, it becomes a a long term measure. So now let's go to level three decision making, which is the workers. So now they have a choice now that you want to be productive. You want to be safe. That's a choice because I've been I've given you all of these choice controls. Mm -hmm. Training procedures. PPE are all choices at the Mm -hmm. coal face. Right. right. So now they're being buried by being productive and having extra stuff to do to be safe. Mm-hmm. And and the bottom line is, as you know, when uh, when people are put in a squeeze, they want to be productive. Right. And of course. So you, can, so you can see how the failure gets set up. Yeah, it is that efficiency thrown as trade off that that we read about and talk about. But at that point, we put the employee in a position where. We really haven't given them good choices. They are choosing the least worst option. Well, we've chosen it for that. We, we've put them in that situation of making a choice that they shouldn't Absolutely. have to make. Right. Exactly. Because this should have been designed in a way where there was an airbag in there. Right. right. 
yeah, or we've eliminated the hazard by design. Mm-hmm. We just passed it through. Right. And so ideally at that upper level decision making, yeah. there should be somebody who understands those consequences involved, but they're not usually yeah. given a seat at the table, are they? I mean, at that level. Well, here, here's the way that I couch this. Um, I talk about hazard gatekeeping. And, and what I mean by that is, is every single person at the corporate level, at the business unit level, needs to be a gatekeeper of hazards and exposures mm-hmm. coming through them, okay, in their decisions. You remember okay. the story about the grain silo situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that person who made the decision that we were going to hold on to um, poor quality grain for a long period of time, that was a sales decision. Okay. The salesperson had no responsibility for safety. Mm. And if you have no responsibility, then you have no interest in making a decision for something that's not your responsibility, Mm. uh, which is, you know, the safety implications or risk implications associated with storing that grain. We saw the benefit. I mean, the benefit was clear. We were going to make money on that, Mm -hmm. but we weren't seeing the risk. The plant saw the risk. The plants were complaining about the risk. Right. Okay. So what I teach these executives is how to be decision makers at that level within the scope of their decision making with regard to hazards and exposures. We give them responsibilities. We give them tools to do that. If they need advice, then they pick up the phone. And and the first level of advice needs to come from the plant, which is, hey, uh, if we do this, what are the implications in your world? And how do we do this well or not do this at all? So that you can stay balanced. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's got to be a responsibility first, or the people nobody picks up the phone. Right. I, I love right. that description, though, that each of these individual decision makers at the executive level are responsible for a certain defined area. Typically, I would assume we still break things out that way for whatever reason. Maybe there's a historical reason for it. Maybe there's an organizational reason for it. But they have that little span of control and if their yeah. decisions if they're not responsible for safety related decisions then why would they make safety related mm-hmm. decisions <clears throat> it would you know it really is of no consequence exactly. to them exactly but but the downstream consequences manifest yeah, and, and, and i hear plant yep oh that's intense man and i totally get it and uh so well, how, I, how i hear i, I hear people yeah Keep going. No, keep going. I didn't mean sorry. to interrupt you. No, I'm sorry for cutting it. I was just going to say, I, I hear, I see why that CFO doesn't give a shit. You know, I mean, I'm a money guy. All I need is I need to make money. I'm being held accountable for making money. Yeah. And that doesn't really phase me. I think they don't appreciate how coupled everything is. That That is true. And and I think the coupling and the understanding of coupling coupling comes back around to how we manage safety i'm sorry how we measure safety right Mm -hmm. if people at that level are measuring safety and you know i i'll put up a chart i'll put up a a a dashboard that a lot of companies have and in the dashboard is is the trir rate and and down below are some leading indicator kind of things like we're closing out actions and incident number of of uh inspections done and training completed you know uh, and i'm putting quotes around those as leading indicators because i don't think they are well, I was just um, gonna ask you that. 
Yeah. And and I say, okay, you executives, when I ask you about the health of your safety program, what one thing on this slide do you focus on? And everyone says TRIR. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all the rest of this stuff is just like, you know. Kind of fluffy. Fluff. Yeah. Yeah. Fluff. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so they're really measuring the creation of risk when they see outcomes. Mm, Yes. Okay. Which is way, way, way downstream. Right. And, and and doesn't impart uh, a clarity of decision-making at their level because their level is a hazard and exposure decision-making not. So they can't correlate if they can't correlate that with, people getting hurt, then you can see how unclear it is. What do you want me to do Mm -hmm. right uh, at that level? So that clarity of how we measure um, our capacity to prevent harm has to be clear all the way through the organization, all the way up to them. Mm -hmm. And how how do they? That's a foundational piece. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm thinking about that, and I'm wondering how do you, when you're coaching these executives, how do you lead them to that that conclusion that they are they're missing the boat by focusing on those those lagging indicators? I'll call them. You know, I I wish I could show my my little slide, but I'll I'll act it out for you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, so there's this guy, right? in five different situations. And there's this rock over this gentleman's head, Mm -hmm. okay? In the first situation, the gentleman isn't even in the area and that rock is hanging up there. Now, in all of these situations I'm gonna talk about, the rock is a big rock, massive, Mm -hmm. up pretty high, and it's the same rock, the same rock, okay? So you got the rock, now you got the person under the rock, now you've got the rock falling, right next to the person near miss. Mm-hmm. Now you got the rock falling. It hits their arm and break their breaks their arm. Now you got the rock falling and hits their head and kills them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can picture this dynamic now. Mm-hmm. And I say to the executives in which of these situations is, is the, you know, is the most severe is the rock most severe is, is, is the highest severity rock. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. of these rocks is the highest severity? Well, it's kind of a trick question. It is. Because the definition of severity change. is the rock's capacity for harm. Right. Not its event actuality. Right. So it's okay? the same. Every you can frame. get scraped. Right. Yeah. So now 50% of them will say, oh, the, the rock on the right, uh, rock on the left, <laughs> the rock on the right, I'm pointing wrong right. <laughs> the one that kill you rock yes. is the most severe rock. So you can see what that elicits. That mindset of outcome. Yeah. It's like we need outcomes to appreciate risk. Mm-hmm. That's what that says. Wow. Okay. So I say to these folks, okay. And then I tell them that all the rocks are the same and all the mm-hmm. the, the severity of the, of the rock or the hazard is the same. I say, okay, do you treat the rock on the right, the kill you rock, the one that's killed the person, the same as the hazard rock on the left. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they, they usually hesitate. And I said, no, I really, I really need to hear the truth. And yes. they say sheep, sheepishly, yes, uh, no, we treat this fatality rock much differently sure. than we treat that rock. 
I said, of course you do. I said, you spend money that you would never have found before. You shut down plant, you shut down operations, you do all kinds of training, you buy all, you do all kinds of stuff after somebody dies that you don't do for the same hazard and the same exposure that killed that person mm -hmm. before it happens. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, man. And that's when you can almost hear it, the, the aha, the, the kind of sucking in of air. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh my God. Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. I said, okay. So now I say, okay. Wow. You got to go. This is, this is a 12 step program, man. Mm -hmm. Right. So you got to get these folks to look in the mirror and say, I'm an outcome driven decision maker. Mm -hmm. And in this case, that's not so good. Right. Okay. Right. They've got to say that or else you cannot move them to where we need to move them to. Is that step number one seeing, in the 12 steps? <laughs> it is. It's the 12, it 12 is. Steps. If you, if it is a 12 stepper, man, I'm Recognize telling you, you're changing people. Yes. That is incredible. Yeah. My name's Jane Doe and I'm going to, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Pete. That is, that is huge. I love that. It, but you, you have to do something like that because I always say to people, look, you know, we say to professionals, we're out there solving problems that people don't even appreciate our problems. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get money to solve things that people don't see as a problem, right? You're getting money to manage risk when people aren't measuring risk other than you. Right. Okay. So if people don't see the problem exactly like you do, and in a common way and are not prioritizing are prioritizing it the way that you are right then they're not going to buy in to what you're saying okay it's a really really important point really okay? important. there are many people in the room that are nodding their heads that don't see what you see in your head no kidding oh my god okay. yes so okay, and so i've got, actually got goosebumps dude and uh, <laughs> and uh I know that I don't thermoregulate very well anymore at my age, but I don't think it's related to that at all. I think it's that that is the aha moment. And for a guy that's been doing this for 37 years, I still have aha moments. And that description, the, the picto diagram that you just described with the rock and that statement is, I'm just speechless. That's fantastic. That's exactly. So now the, Hopefully you have a few light, light bulbs going on in the room. They're starting to appreciate that a little bit. Where do you go next with that? I mean, That's what do a great you point. So then I said, okay, so which of these rocks should we put our effort in the most? And they'll say the rock over there where the hazard before somebody gets exposed. Right. right. And, so and I will say to them, look, I said, the only way that you're going to prevent fatalities without learning from fatalities is to treat that rock over there exactly the way you treat the rock over here. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. And so in that moment, I'm sure they get it. I'm sure these are smart people. They do. You're typically speaking to very yeah. smart yes. in, yeah. individuals. They get that. How do they leave the room and believe that? Well, there's much more to it, right? So that's just me. That's just me tipping them in the right direction. Once I've got them tipped, 
then you know what's in their head now is all right so okay Pete, great so what am i supposed to do with this okay let me show you and i continue to walk them down the road of of what is a hazard what is exposure what is it what's inherent risk mean okay and and then how much risk is okay in your organization and this is a really critical point um the level of residual risk that I, I hate to use the word tolerable. I used to call it safe enough mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. tolerable is an interesting term. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to the policy because usually what I ask these folks before I even start this is how safe do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And, and look, the, what is the expression of safety that most people will give you? Oh, we want everybody to go home the way they came to work. That is an outcome measure, mm-hmm. right? So you can see all this kind of, right? So now I got to get them to talk about that same thing from a risk or residual risk perspective mm-hmm. and understand that simply, okay? So what I try to do is I try to help them find the line between safe enough and unsafe. Okay. And that comes out of the policy. It starts with the policy. So somewhere in your safety policy, somewhere in your safety vision, is the word safe, mm-hmm. guaranteed, okay? So what does this mean? Mm-hmm. You've got a policy that says a word, and it is not well-defined in right. your organization. So how the heck are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. That's a right? great point. It says, yep. I'm in Connecticut. I want to go to California. How the heck am I going to get there if I don't even know – East, west, north, south, right? I have no clue. Right. So um, the reality is that everyone in an organization needs to be able to look at the same thing the same way. We do it in quality really well. Okay. okay? Because we have a measurable way to determine good quality and not so good quality. It's measurable. We don't have that consistency and finite kind of approach for safety in a lot of companies, even companies that I'm in companies that have management systems for 30 years and mm-hmm. they still have problems with this. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, or, I, I, go ahead. Oh, just to say, or they're defining safe by that outcome measure as they traditionally have. They, you know, well, if we don't have any recordables or if whatever, we are safe. Right. Which and, is, and you know, <clears throat> the absence of something doesn't really make you safe. You know, the absence of injuries doesn't necessarily mean you're safe. So right. that's a. So, a so you get to get, you have to get them to understand what, what safe looks like. Right. So now I will show them a picture or I'll take them out in the plant and say, okay, you say that you don't want anybody to get hurt or come home. You want people to come home the way they went to work or whatever it is. What does this environment look like when it gives you that consistently? Now you get the whistling at a dog kind of look because they they don't have no clue. Right. Right. I mean, for the most part, you know, they may just say uh, people following the rules. Okay. Well, that's part of it. So now let's go back to the rules and see if the rules even get us to safe because we don't know the rules, maybe just regulatory compliance. Right. And you, you know, and I know that's just not enough. Mm-hmm, right. Okay. So if you want people to not get hurt, 
OSHA compliance is not enough it's in not, most right. organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's taken a big chunk out of that risk. Uh, so they need to understand where that line gets drawn between safe enough and unsafe in a practical mm-hmm. manner. Mm-hmm. And practical executive, practical business unit executive, practical ops manager, practical first lines. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. They all have to be able to see that and make that decision. And uh, and believe me, when you draw that, you, you've seen those matrices in risk assessment that's got mm-hmm. the red up in the corner. And it's got the yellow in the middle and the green on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And if you say safe enough is green. It's challenging to get to green and keep green, folks. Right, right. Most of your controls today are in yellow. Mm-hmm. They're in yellow. Mm-hmm. And and where yellow meets fatality and serious injury hazards, lockout tagout. Great example, right? Lockout tagout is a nice thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the reality of lockout tagout in most companies is people aren't following it. Right. Okay. And it's a good day control. It's a seatbelt, not an airbag. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And if people aren't following that control and you think it's yellow, it's really red. I was just going to say, because like, it's, it's like red. having no control. Right. There's no yellow in it's red or green. It's right. It's yeah. exactly right. But mm-hmm. they're thinking it's good enough. It's not mm-hmm. right. I mean, I'll tell people all the time, you know, um, a, a a common control, a checklist is a control. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, a checklist for a pilot and a checklist for a school bus driver who both have lives that they have to uh, protect are two different mechanisms of value and, and, and robustness in terms of, of risk control. Mm-hmm. The pilot is a lot more disciplined around a checklist than a, a school bus driver is going right. to or same checklist, same, right. Same checklist. Mm-hmm. So you've got to look at the dynamic of the climate and the culture where that control is being applied and credit or decredit, if you will, that control based on its ability to be effective in that environment. Mm-hmm. That, that, oh, wow. Okay, man. So now you're blowing my mind Sorry. some more here. No, no, this is great. This is great. I need a little, you know, non uh, 70s related mind expansion you know so but the concept that you just described is really interesting to me because somehow the pilot has been conditioned to appreciate the importance and consequence of that checklist and again checklists are barely controls right just you know it's a control but it's barely a control yeah and I talk to people every day who say, I can't get my forklift operators to do their daily inspections or run their checklist. They just pencil whip it and off they go. And is that because we're not communicating the message clearly, or is it because the consequences aren't nearly as significant? I, I think, it, I mean, think about the school bus driver and, and, and the pilot and the co-pilot, right? There's yeah, a climate, a there's yeah. a climate. The climate is is kind of the dynamic of the work environment, the, the, the work environment that you work in, right? Uh, your first line supervisor, your workers, your coworkers, all that is climate, okay? So even the climate of the cockpit, right, is a much more accountable 
mutually accountable environment. They're checking mm -hmm. each other. Right. You know, when that plane lifts off, they both have their hands on that on that throttle. Mm -hmm. Both have their hands on that throttle. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, because it's that critical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, you know, that kind of accountability elevates a, a, a good day. It is a good day of control, mm -hmm. but elevates the reliability of that control. Uh, it doesn't make it a airbag, but it elevates the reliability of the control. See. Whereas the, the school bus drivers in a climate that isn't, isn't disciplined like that environment, there's no one else as a co-driver mm -hmm. to, to no watch and, right? Oh, you know? Um, and, and so that climate, the climate that defines a, a NASA astronaut or a pilot all the way up to putting them in that seat, as well as the climate around them is, is a, is a deliberate and, um, and rely and more reliable environment, you know, more designed for reliability. Yes. Um, so to try to change a forklift driver in a climate of a plant that isn't disciplined yeah. is very challenging. Very challenging. Wow. That's really interesting. Can you, can you go back and talk a little bit more about when you were talking about the red, yellow, green, safe enough, yeah. you know, based on each of these different levels, just re describe that for me again, man, because I've got well, to process this. Yeah. So, so I was just talking about this uh, at the conference. So I show this, the, the matrix graphic, which usually is in somebody's risk assessment program. Right. right. Okay? Absolutely. And, and on one side is typically severity right. yeah. across the top severity, right. Which is the rock, how big the rock is, how high the rock is. Right. Mm -hmm. You got catastrophic all the way to ping pong ball. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Severity. And then down the left-hand side, what I usually recommend for occupational um, risk is exposure. Uh, how often am I working around the rock? How many people are around the rock? How often do I have to touch the rock? You know, how often do I have to breathe the rock? You know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exposure. And, and the reason why I use exposure is it's readily uh, measurable in the workplace and it's easy to agree on. And if mm -hmm. you're going to go out there and measure really rank risk. I don't see it as much as measurement as it's ranking. Mm -hmm. Measure risk. You want principles that people can see and agree on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. It, when you put something like um, probability of failure down that column, you know, when's the last time this failed? That's not good. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm just going to tell you right now for right. human beings, that is not good. Right. right. I don't know how you measure that. And if you're measuring when's the last time somebody got killed doing this, and everybody says nobody's ever gotten killed doing this. Now, how are you going to rank it? Low. Mm -hmm. Well, what's it going to be like after that happens? High. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. well, how how no effective doubt. is that in helping you predict something? Right. No doubt. <laughs> right. That's a great description. Yeah. Right. So you got to, I mean, yeah, you can, you can modify that risk by events that have happened as a sod modifier, but don't lower it based on the fact that nothing has ever happened. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. just don't do it from my perspective. Well, and this is uh, one of the difficulties that, that I found with OSHA specifically is when we talk about that exposure, we used to refer to that side of the, as you said, we used to refer to that as probability, you know, the likelihood mm -hmm. 
calculation yeah. in this matrix. And if your perspective is from that of OSHA, where you see hundreds of fatalities and accidents every year versus that individual in that plant who has never even heard of that occurring, right? you know, they have no knowledge of that occurring. It's totally different. And so when you come in guns blazing from a, an OSHA perspective and, oh my God, this is horrible. You guys should be shut down. And they're like, what are you even, what are you talking about? That, that, that disconnect in the, in the communication is really challenging. And I think we see that same disconnect yeah. in our, in our decision-making within our organization because of that as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, this kind of splits what I'll call risk assessment from um, um, the way that people many times look at risk, which is frequency of occurrence mm -hmm. and severity of, of, of the harm. Okay. That's how most people see risk. Uh, that's how your average person sees risk. Mm -hmm. Hey, when's the last time I got hurt by? Or remember the time I stuck my hand in there? Oh, yeah, I can still <laughs> see the scar. You know, that that's different in every single person. Right. No doubt. Right. So now if you're leaving your folks up to that calibration of of when something is unsafe, unsafe is all over the lot. Right. So you've got this program, a lot of people have this engagement kind of process whereby, you know, you can hit the stop button, you know, literally or figuratively mm -hmm. uh, and stop a process if you think something's unsafe, but I don't think it's unsafe. Right. I've right. never seen it. Ha I've never seen it hiccup before. So I'm not pushing the button. Right. Right. Not, not that I'm not empowered to do that. I just don't think it's unsafe. So I'm not going to do it. Right. Now, what have you got? Okay. So, um, I see that a lot. Yes. That's I see great. that a lot. So compare the, com, contrast the two again then, because that, as you said, that's what I typically see. Right. So look, the other side of it is, is the, what I'll call it the what if, okay. If, if someone sticks their hand in here, what could happen to their hand based on our agreement that that's a serious injury harm hazard? Well, okay. they could lose fingers. They could lose their hand. Okay. Does somebody have to have done that for us to see that? No. Right. Right. And, and and that's the practice of risk assessment. Yes. The, Not, the, you should be engaging. Know, when's the last time that happened? Right. Or does <laughs> right. that scare you? Even the question, are you, does that intimidate you or scare you? That, that whole individual risk tolerance issue. Yeah. Uh, just ca causes a bunch of volatility in our system. If everybody is to determine on their own, what they're afraid of and what they're not afraid of. You yeah. Know. And, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I've had to say to people, I was in the elevator business and uh, guys will tell me, oh, I put my hand on the shiv all the time, or I put my hand on the rope, you know, rope is a cable. The cable you know yeah. what cables are like after a while, they have little oh, yeah, things man. sticking out of them, you oh, rip yeah. your skin off. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, let's say your son's working with you. You let your uh, 16 year old son put his hand on that. See how that recalibrates mm -hmm. their perspective of hazard. Right. 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 So now he's not thinking about hazard. He's thinking about risk from the perspective of when's the last time I got hurt doing this. Mm -hmm. So what has to happen in their minds is they have to separate hazard from frequency of occurrence. Right. So right. All right, you, you got to put that that exposure aside, that history aside for a minute, and just look at the hazard. Can this rip 
the hand off your body. Can right. this, you know, this have enough energy in it to kill? That's what I use. Does this have enough energy in it to kill? It's a snake venom. It's, it's uh, you know, a chemical reaction. It's mm-hmm. a potential energy. It's, you know, whatever it is. Enough Crossing energy to kill. Into that plant. Yeah, enough energy to kill. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Then it can kill. Has it killed? Doesn't matter. Okay, doesn't matter right now. Okay, mm-hmm. so now let's talk about do people need to work here? Is it possible for somebody to get into that space? Yes. And then if they are in that space, they could be killed. Yes, we agree. Okay. So then what's preventing them? Now we get to the residual risk, right? What's preventing them from getting in there and how reliable is that in our work environment? That's mm-hmm. the true residual risk. <laughs> That's so good. And I agree because I think the vast majority of companies dwell on that uh, probability piece. Well, that's never going to happen. You know, what's yeah, the that's, of that happening? I've, you know, that's nobody a slippery slope. Yeah. Slippery slope. And I, my comment is usually, I guarantee you there is someone working in this facility today that can and will do that. And so regardless of the, the fact that you think nobody, you know, what idiot would do that? Well, you've employed them. I guarantee they're here somewhere. And so let's just make sure that we address it. Let's control it to the extent that we're able rather than just wait to see if this person is going to do it or not. Yeah. See, that goes back to the rock falling, doesn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you don't see that as, as immediate uh, of an issue as this, as an immediate of an issue, then you're not going to put the money and the time and the effort into this until yes. that happens. Yes. And so that, that concept of safe enough when you are going from the C-suite down through the chain of command to the employee, I, I would assume that's all over the board. We have to somehow yep. come to some common definition of safe enough. Yes, exactly. Because that sounds, I'm sure that there's a lot of variability in that. There's a lot in, in well-evolved companies, well-evolved safety, you know, um, practicing companies. It's still the case. Yes. It's still the case. And, and that is the foundation of decision-making. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care how many management systems and certifications you've got. That is the foundation of decision-making throughout the organization. And you can see right now that it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And okay. It's, so it's everywhere. Yeah. And so getting that, trying to calibrate that so that we're, we're within a certain tolerance um, within that tree. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good point. Right. So when you're trying to rank and that's what we're doing, we're ranking, mm-hmm. right. And saying, okay, this is a high order risk because people are exposed to it all the time and it's got enough energy to kill. And, and, and if you want to look at the control and, the, and there's really no control or, or it's a good day control, right. This is, this is a high order uh, um, situation or concern, okay? Now, um, what I tell people is when you're risk ranking in, in, in the principles that we're talking about here, not scientifically, you know, not using numbers to calibrate these things, but just having a conversation, is this a big deal, not a big deal, right? Um, it, it's kind of like teaching somebody how to shoot a bow and arrow. Did I explain this in one of the other uh, ones? No. Okay. Right, right. So once you got the arrow knocked, you know how to hold the bow and, and 
find that resting place and release point and all that stuff. Um, I say to people, I'm, I'm going to have you fire three arrows down range. Where do you want those arrows to go? You know, people will say in the bullseye. Huh. I'll say, well, that's a nice thought. Right, I right. said, but there's a better answer. And the better answer is you want them to be together. Mm -hmm. A group. Precisely. Okay? You want them to be in a group. And what is a group? A group is consistency. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the principle is consistency before accuracy gives you consistent accuracy. Oh, yes. I would agree completely. Right. Because now if we have consistency, we have windage and elevation, just two variables. If we got one in the house and one in here or one over there, we got a lot of work to do. One in the neighbor. Right, you know. right, neighbor's cat, whatever. Exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, you're, you got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now I've brought this down to two variables. Now we can agree on those variables. We can measure those things. It's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So you want people to, to be able to be relatively consistent about their thoughts and mm -hmm. decisions on where these things get plotted. Not exact, but close. Right. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. And then, then over time, nice we get more refined. Yes. We can, we can work on accuracy once we right. have that, that right. precision, that consistency. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a great description, man. Where did you come up with all this stuff? Is this just bouncing around in your head yeah. somewhere? or It is. But you know where it's come from? I mean, I've spent most of my career up in front of people trying to help them see something that I see quite clearly mm -hmm. that they don't see at all. Mm -hmm. And I've had to come up with a million analogies and stories. And, yeah. and I've forgotten. I, like I'll go back and read something or find a presentation. Oh, I forgot. I remember when I did this or I did that. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I'm creating this stuff on a daily basis. Yes. And, and I'll probably create something today that I've never right. said before. And revisiting things that have kind of yeah filed back in the and, and in the I and, of your brain. And I and I've done that because my challenge in life has always been I'm somewhat of a futurist, mm -hmm. and and that's not an easy world to live in, um, in the world today is being a futurist. People like problem solvers there, therefore you need a problem. So mm -hmm. I'm bringing you something that isn't a problem. That's going to be a problem. You're not going to listen to me. Right. Okay. And, and that's a problem in organizations too. I, we hire people that are supposed to be predictive, preventive people, but ultimately they're fighting fires with everybody else. Mm -hmm. So we're not spending enough time leaving the people whose job it is to see bad coming and prevent it alone. Interesting. Okay. We get them into the firefight. We get them into the mud and right. then, then nobody's looking forward. We're just, oh, yeah. you know, dealing with the day. So my, my challenge in life, and, and it's been a tough road is, is to try to figure out ways to help people see what I'm trying to say or explain the same way that I see it. Yeah. Is it a curse? I mean, yeah. to have this vision, <laughs> it is a bit of a curse. It, it is. It is. It's frustrating. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, I would but, imagine. And you but, see dysfunctional organizations and you recognize it immediately, probably. And dysfunction is a relative term, certainly. But yeah. Yeah. But um, you see that dysfunction. I, and you I look at it as is look, uh, I know if you can clearly state who you want to be, what you want to look like, 
Um, that's fine. And it doesn't matter to me what that is. Mm -hmm. All I'm looking at is your ability to get there, stay there, stay on the path, be on the right path. Right. That's, that's all I'm doing. I'm not telling people how good they need to be. I'm mm -hmm. not, I don't want to be in that business. It's up to you right. guys. Right. I've actually said to people, Hey, you know, you're making a lot of money and you're killing a lot of people. Maybe you should lower one of those standards because uh -huh. you're not able to do right. both. You're just right. not able to do both. Right. It seems unsustainable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, this should be realistic. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. You're not exact. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I, I completely agree. That's an interesting comment. But I think, as you said, they need to know where it is they want to go in order to plot the path to get there. So defining that's pretty important. It's, it's essential. And not only defining it, but painting the picture that everybody sees it in a similar manner and buys in and says, yeah, that's a good place. Yeah. That's a leader's job. Mm -hmm. That's a leader's job is yes. to paint the picture of where we're headed and getting people to buy into the fact that the, we all need to go there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's inspirational. Have you, have you written the book yet? Are you, have, do you have a book? Yeah. Well, um, that's the, I guess, some of my good news is I got my book appro approval uh, the other day. Oh, fantastic. Um, and uh, now, so actually now I have to start working, <laughs> uh, but the, the complexity of writing a book is, is mind blowing. Um, and because the publishers, they, they want to know how many pages, how, how many figures, how many drawings, how many, why? Because it's an investment for them. And sure. You know what I mean? And I'm like, exactly. I don't know. You got to put, it's going to come to me. You got to put the yeah. rock either on the cover or in the, in the, you know, introduction somewhere because that, that vision. Now I can't get out of that rock. I can see it. In fact, I'm going to do, you know how you used to take old paperbacks and you could write in the little margin of the paperback and you could make a movie. <laughs> Remember doing that as a kid? Yes. You did that that stick top. figure guy. I would right. usually yeah. have like a hill with a little rock at the top. And then this, <laughs> and then as you flip the pages, the rock would roll down the hill and plow yeah. over some family of, you know, probably my family that we were on vacation. <laughs> the early musings of a safety guy. Right. Exactly. Right. But I think that <laughs> I have this vision. Maybe I'll do the illustrations for your book, man. But, I am looking forward to your book because this is so enlightening to me. And, and again, I've been, you know, safety grunt at the floor level of the plant for 37 years and have never really spent a lot of time thinking about the executive level decision-making and how that impacts what's happening and how everything is coupled. So if you make a decision about productivity or, production rates or raw materials. I mean, I go to my plants and I, how's it going? They bought a bunch of shitty chemicals on sale in China and that's screwing up our <clears throat> process line mm -hmm. and all their, and they bought tons of it because it was on sale and they knew they were going to need it. And so, you know, the ramifications of that decision upstream weren't yep. even considered on what's going to happen. And so now they've got, they've thrown this volatility in, into the system and now, you know, I don't, I, I, I've never thought about that kind of stuff, man. So for me, this is like an awakening as well. And I, it's, I'm intimidated, you know, it's intimidating to try to process all of this stuff and get a handle on it, which is why I'm just fascinated by the discussion, but I need it in a book, man. Cause I love to read. So well, gotta get the book going. I, yeah. I mean, one of the reviewers said I need to write two books. Um, 
is they're probably right. And, you know, I, I, again, I thank my, our friend, Tom West Mm -hmm. for, for pushing me in that direction constructively. Um, And I I think the book really needs to be in the form of the, is it who ate my cheese kind of book. You ever read that book? Sure, man. Okay. That, that simple kind of vignette, small chapter, here's a story here's 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 the example here's the principle you know that kind of mm-hmm. small chunk learning kind mm-hmm. of format um i think is a good thing for people especially today that just don't have the time or capacity to to read a novelette yes you know? i think that's a great idea and um i want and uh, i read in the morning i typically read um uh, the Daily Stoic. I don't know if you're familiar with Ryan Holiday, but he wrote a book called The Daily Stoic, and it is just one day at a time reflections from the Stoics. You know, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, whomever. And there's a little quote from the Stoic, and then there's a little paragraph of description. What does that mean to me in my life today? Nice. And it, and that's exactly what you do. You take these somewhat complex concepts and put them into these different stories that I can comprehend. And I think a book like that would be really yeah. well accepted and useful. Yeah. You know, there are a yeah. lot of books that I have been so. written about this stuff that are, they are you're brilliant, but they're not useful. Cause how do I put that into my world? How do I translate that? So you know, I think it's, you're onto something. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hope so. I, I'm, I'm just trying to help. Um, and, you know, before I, you know, <laughs> I'm under the ground somewhere. Just say a lot. Um, yeah, whatever. Disappear. Yeah. Um, it, it, I I did this presentation uh, a couple of days ago in, in San Antonio, and, and the title was um, "The Common Leadership Gaps and How to Fill Them." Mm-hmm. And and what I said to folks is, you know, safety is like a high rise building, right? So you got a foundation, you got a first floor, second floor, third floor. So, you know, there's some foundational principles of safety, and then then you got programs, and then you got management systems, and then you got right, and you're kind of moving up the high rise. And and I said, there are companies that are on the 15th floor of that high rise today that have rebar missing from their foundation. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna talk about what that rebar is. Those gaps. Yeah, and it's the stuff we were just talking about, safe enough, unsafe, decision-making, balance. Um, All of those things are missing in many of the dynamics of these organizations that are pretty far along in safety, and they just don't realize it. Um, But there is a catastrophic event just waiting to happen. It's just teetering. Well, yeah, and, and one of the person people and and i have people come up afterwards and are are looking for copies or you know whatever it is and and one of the guys said to me he said you know something he said i went to all of these sessions and he said i I came back with more problems than solutions you gave me more solutions than problems Mm. i said man thank you Mm. i appreciate that that's that's why i'm here wow that that is well that is the ultimate compliment uh, that's impressive, and I and I know that when we do training, I mean, you know, a, a colleague of mine and I are doing a number of thirty-hour OSHA classes right now, which is just a you know, it's just a flyover survey of OSHA regulations and hazard recognition concepts, and everybody comes up and says, 
now I've just got all these problems you've just created for me because I've <laughs> right. got this exactly. awareness now of all these gaps in my, in my system. And, uh, but it's not set up to offer solutions very well. You know, it's yeah. not a solution program. It's a, here's your problems program. And I, I feel almost guilty, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss, you know, <laughs> give me some freaking ideas how to fix this, you know? And uh, well, I, that's where you come yeah. in. I spent, um, I was the, the senior corporate auditor and ran the auditing program for United Technologies for our management system for, for four years uh, on a corporate level. And I, I, you know, I was a professional bad news bringer, mm-hmm. you know, you you have an ugly baby is what, you know, <laughs> is, you know, and, and how do you explain that nicely? Uh-huh. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I would just dump a load of, of stuff that people needed to do and then get on a plane and go home. Right. Oh yeah. And I feel pretty guilty about that. Yeah. So I'm working, I'm working my way out of that. Yeah. You're paying, paying your debt, man. Paying back. Well, that was what, that's what I did for OSHA for a number of years. And I never reconciled that very well. You know, it, you know, I was always a believer in the mission. People should have a relatively safe and healthy place to work. I get that, man. I'm, who doesn't agree with that? But it didn't really help me for to, to go in and bash their maintenance guys, you know, for having poorly guarded drill presses and grinders and things. That didn't really change anything. If anything, it was maybe momentary, and then they'd fix it to try to appease me. Then I would disappear. And and again, it wasn't really solution based. And um, I, you know, I don't know how useful that is. I I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess there need to be some checks and balances, but. Offering solutions is really the most important part. Oh man! Yeah, I mean, I have people say to me, "Pete, you know, I, I got it, I got it. Well, I have no idea what to do with it." Uh huh. <laughs> you know? Okay. Well, you know, I mean, usually when I do this recalibration gig, um, it, it, people are ready to do things. They just either don't have the bandwidth, time. You know, I'm too, you know, I'm too busy. You know, I'm going to go back into the deep end of the pool when I leave here with all these wonderful ideas. And, you know, I'm still treading water. Right. So they, they need someone to come in like me and just be the, the hand holder, the coach, the whatever it is, you know, and say, yeah. okay, you know, let's, let's bite off this chunk and, right. and let's just do this. And let's, let's keep our language moving forward and keep our process moving forward and sustain what we're doing. And, they need someone like me to go in there and help them. You're just but, kind of a facilitator of sorts. I mean, yeah, but that's the thing that I would say they don't want to pay for it, but they, they just don't think they need, but they, everybody does because it's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to change while you're doing what you do. Right. Cause they and, can't stop. Right. Yes. Well, in the situation I find myself in now, there seems to be a disconnect between, uh, you know, there there is no real understanding that our decisions at this level may be having the, the an undesired impact at that level. You know, our decisions are solid, and you're making some mistakes at your level, and that disconnect I think is dangerous. Yeah, and something that needs to be addressed, but it's probably not easily come to. I doubt you know executives are quick to blame themselves often. No, I, I, I see a lot of executives blaming the workers. Sure, yeah. And, and look, from an executive perspective, I, 
I can understand why, because they're the ones that opened up their checkbooks and have, have pushed, you know, million, probably millions of dollars out for safety's sake. Mm-hmm. Okay. I and mean, they've spent the money. It's not like, you know, that's from their perspective, that's their role is, is to facilitate right. the money flowing to fix the things we need to fix. Right. And they feel like they've done that and that the workers have let them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I have to reconnect them with that reality. Yes. And, and one of the first things is, how often do you folks go to the plants? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we do. Uh, we, we do walks. We do these. You've probably seen you know, the executives come down and they do these gamble walks or they oh, do right. these yeah, yeah. management walks, right? And I said, okay, great. Well, so what? tell me a little bit about that process. Well, you know, we have a checklist. We don't have a checklist. We talk to people. We don't talk to people. We look at things, whatever it is. I said, okay, when you find something that just doesn't seem to be right, what do you do? Well, we, we hand it over to the first line supervisor. And I said, I say to them, that's not your job. And they look at me and I say, I can do that, right? They look at me like, who are you to tell me what my job is? And I was like, let me tell you. The job, it's the job of the folks in the plant to find their own hazards and risks and manage their own controls. So why do you need to go in there and find them mm-hmm. for them and mm-hmm. give them that? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Why am I finding this obviously wrong thing? And everybody else here seems to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And so I give them, I don't know if I talked this about, I give them these three questions which is, I think we talked about this before, which is the first question is, and these are questions you answer with your, your questions, not mm-hmm. ask the question. And the first question is, if I see it as a problem, why doesn't everybody else here see it as a problem? Right, right. Or see it the same way I do, mm-hmm. right? And then go find that out. Hey, uh, Mr. Supervisor, you know, do, do you do, a, do uh, assessments or, or, or safety walks or whatever? Yeah, yeah, let's go do one together. What do you see? See anything? Well, how's this look? right? Open, open. You don't say, Hey, you knucklehead, this thing's wrong. You don't, you don't ever say that because what am I evaluating? I'm evaluating their capacity to see it right now. Mm -hmm. I know I've seen it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, because when I leave, they have to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, I'm leading them to tell me hopefully that this is a problem. So now, if they see it as a problem and I see it as a problem, we both see it as a problem. Then you go to the next question, which is, okay, so why haven't you fixed it? Mm-hmm. And once you get into question number two and what's behind question number two, you quickly go away from that as the problem to other issues that probably and most often go beyond safety. Right. Well, you know, maintenance, maintenance is busy. And, and, you know, I put it back and they move, keep moving it back here. You're going to hear all of those kinds of other things that are much bigger implications of organizational issues than that pallet sitting in the aisle. Mm-hmm. Yes. That pallet sitting in the aisle is talking to you and you're not listening to it. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> and, it's say, and it's saying, please understand why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Don't move me until you do. Right. Okay. And people aren't hearing that. Right. So the, the, then the next one is, okay, if you see it the way I see it and, and um, you've moved it and now it's back. Whoa. We got a much bigger issue in this organization. If the organization cannot consistently do what it says it wants to do. 
And that goes to everything. I'm just going to tell you, it's not about the pallet. It's not about safety. It's bigger than that area. It's big. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's an organization that can't keep itself in check. Right. Yes. That's, oh my God. Yeah. That's, and that, that, um, that question of, you know, I've identified it. Why don't you identify it? Or why haven't you seen it? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. That's just a, um, sometimes a, a matter of perception, but you know, why haven't we done anything about it really is the foundational question. Well, I mean, even that first why question is, is question? the safe, safe enough, unsafe question. Mm-hmm. It's really what that is. Right. So how do you see safe? Does that look safe? Right. Is it safe enough? Right. Exactly. Well, what's, what's your standard for safe and does it pass your, your, your standard test? Mm-hmm. Right. Is there a rule? Is there a, Right. Yeah. And what you're going to see sometimes is is that um, that deviation um, of right has gone on for so long that that wrong is now OK. Yes. And normalization of deviance. Right. 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 That wrong is OK for some reason. Go find out why. Because mm-hmm. that's a really big deal. Yeah. Because that's not the only deviation that's OK here. Guaranteed. Yeah. Once we're on that path of rationalizing path. these deviations yep. yes yep. then there are going to be others that have manifested so, themselves. so when people say to me oh geez i i don't know if my leadership is going to get these concepts pete and all this let's go do one of those exercises where we walk out on the floor and we track back a few things it could be a safety thing it could be a quality thing it could be whatever it is mm-hmm. they will all come to the same place mm-hmm and then you will realize yourself, I won't have to tell you where this is all coming from. Yeah. Now the question is, want to do something about it? Right. Is it important? I can help you. About, I can help yeah. you. You, know? you can see the impact it's having. It's not just having a safety impact. It's a cost impact. It's a quality impact. It's a, it's a worker satisfaction impact. It's a, a customer satisfaction impact. It's everything. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my God. How do we get into these discussions? Oh, no, my brother. I love it. And this is so interesting to me. Um, th- there is a lot to unpack in this 45 minutes, the hour we've just spent together. That was an hour, by the way. I don't know how the how I don't know why time has accelerated so rapidly. I think I seem to be on that, you know, when the, the bell curve, I'm on that backside and I am screaming down the hill at this point. It goes so fast, but there is so much in there that and like you said, solution driven um commentary you know that we need to get in front so um you got plans to come to omaha anytime soon what's your summer look like you got some vacation planned any travel any open weeks yeah let's let's talk about it uh maybe not right now but let's let's talk about it um and let's let's put something together yeah most definitely this is just I, i can't imagine any company not benefiting from this discussion um as somebody you know everybody needs to be having this discussion i know that you there are only 52 weeks in the year but um gosh i could i just would really love it if we could have this discussion face to face in omaha with some of these some of these folks that that i work with so we'll have to figure that out um if if people want to get a hold of you how, how do they do that I, i'm sure that your name and contact information will be in the liner notes of the episode um, it doesn't appear on YouTube necessarily. Maybe we can put it down in the notes on YouTube. 
But when they want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, well, email? You want an email? You want? Yeah, I guess there's three ways. Uh, you know, uh, carrier pigeon. Now, uh, carrier pigeons are same. all the way to Connecticut. Uh, yeah, uh, you can. You can. I'll give you my phone number. Uh, Please. Eight six eight six zero seven one three eight zero five zero. Okay. And uh, tell them that uh, Fletch had you call. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's going to be and- like a twenty percent bonus if you. <laughs> there you go. If you in Fletch, right. you know. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and then my email is opx, O-P-X, Oscar Peter X-Ray, and the word safety, S-A-F-E-T-Y, at cox, C-O-X dot N-E-T. Yep. Or LinkedIn. Yep, yep. I follow your stuff on LinkedIn all the time, and you're getting tagged all the time by our like our buddy Tom and other folks. And like I said, I saw some commentary about your presentation down in san antonio and it sounded exceptional i I appreciate it man and um this stuff just blows my mind i every time we've spoken i leave better for having had the conversation so i sincerely appreciate it um i am anxious for the book though i need a book man i am a book guy so we got to get this we got to get this written maybe this weekend. Do you have time to work oh, on this weekend or what's Doug. <laughs> I know. I understand. But I just I love to have it in my hands. I need to read it and touch it and see it and um it might might be easier for me to just do a talking book. Yes, an audio book. <laughs> an audio book, right? I would love that too. But I will say I went back this morning. I got my cup of coffee. I sat down and started rereading some of the articles because I've read through your series of articles one time, and then I've started reading through a second and third time. And it be, there is a moment where it, uh, in the beginning, it's a little bit too much for me because I, I, I have not been introduced to the concepts before, but there is that light bulb moment when I say, oh, I think I understand what he's saying here. It makes sense. So I go back through the second time. All of a sudden, I was reading this morning, and all of a sudden I get it. So it's not that I'm an idiot. It's that it's just new concepts and I need to ease my way into them. But as you explain them, they make perfect sense. So I do appreciate that. And I I can appreciate your frustration because it must be frustrating speaking to me and knowing that, you know, I'm a lip reading knuckle dragger, you know? No, you're not. No, you're not. I I mean, I think you're absolutely wonderful at what you do here. Uh, And I don't even know what you do in the field. (laughs) but what you do here is phenomenal well good man i appreciate it and like you um i think we are both in that phase of our lives and careers where we feel an obligation to give something back and the way that i give back is to just give people like you who have something to say you know uh the ability to do that so i think i'll do my part you keep doing your part and can i just uh, say one parting note yes please which, which has really nothing to do with safety um my mother-in-law passed away last week uh she lived with us i'm sorry to hear that no thank you she was 93 years old beautiful lady Uh, none of the mother-in-law jokes applied to her whatsoever (laughs) she was a fantastic person and um somehow i was able to have her record her life over the past few years in one of these audio recording devices Mm -hmm. and all of those files are now going to her kids who can hear her for the rest of their lives. That's fantastic. This is a beautiful thing, folks. Um, 
and and to have someone's voice perpetuated for a lifetime this is a cheap cheap way to do that think about doing this for for uh maybe your family too that's incredible i love that well and man um this is why we, we are recording your voice for posterity as well or until we're completely banned from the internet totally but <laughs> you know um i say something maybe that's too disruptive but yes, I love the archive. I love the fact that all of this information is archived. People can go back and review it. I know that people are, have been waiting for the next episode from you specifically. There are a, a number of folks that I, that I interact with on a regular basis, and they all wait for your episodes. And I guarantee if Pat has the ability to get this posted at some point, that we will get really positive feedback immediately because everybody loves your message so um, I'm going to say thank you and sign off because I'm getting the stare, which means my time is up. I'm actually going to get charged by the minute after the hour is up. It's the kind of outfit I work with here. But um, I love it, man. Thank you so much for joining me again. I look forward to just chatting on the phone, catching up, hearing about San Antonio. Um, have a great weekend, man. I hope you get on the boat, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pleasure. Pete. Yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. And I you look too. forward to being you an too. editor on the book. Thank you. At a high rate. Right. <laughs> Later, man. Good to see Take you, care. buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. A Huda Media Production.